Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Ono Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Dylan from the Dublin-ish based band Subplots. I say Dublin-ish, one third of them is based in Canada. So I'm not quite sure if they actually count as Dublin only based. So, you know, I mean semantics, whatever you're having yourself. Subplots have been around for about a decade, maybe even a little bit longer than that. They released their debut album, at Night Cycles in 2009 and followed that up with uh, 2015's Autuming and they've just released their third album A Silent Phase which you can get on Spotify and you can get you can buy a record at subplots.bangcamp.com it's a really really good album I've been really enjoying it uh I work nights and so when I come come home from work you know you just kind of want to relax a little bit so often I just put on some uh, some music and I found that a silent phase is a really really nice relaxing late night album you know for the come down sort of thing so uh, I've really been enjoying it I think it's for fans of the likes of Radiohead and that type of thing there's also a big Foles and math rock element in there as well which is really interesting so I chatted to Dylan about the recording of a silent phase it was recorded in Rotterdam the band was on a 10-day studio residency there. So we chat about that and we talk about how the sound developed and how the synths uh, that were there really played a part in the creation of this this record. And we also talk about kind of the logistics of like one-third of your band being based out of the country in a way and kind of how you make music when you've got to work around that. And we also touch on a lot of other different things so it's a really enjoyable chat with uh dylan and definitely check out that album the start of it obviously we recorded the interview before the album was out so that'll ex- that'll explain the the initial start of the interview and then we then we get into it so uh so yeah here's dylan cheney chatting about subplots and their new album a silent phase congratulations on a silent phase uh how, how are you feeling about it are you excited about uh it being out in the world um yeah I mean, well, it, it doesn't properly come out now until was it next week. So it's still kind of, you know, before something comes out, it's kind of just looming over your head. It's like <laughs> waiting for the day for it to come out. But yeah, we feel good about it. Um, very happy with how it turned out. It took a, took a while to get it all together. But yeah, we're all happy. It's a nice kind of progression on what we have been doing over the years. So yeah, very pleased with it. Um, like, tell me about that progression because I mean the creative process sounds like it was uh it was really interesting. You took like a ten day studio residency in Rotterdam. That was weird and strange all at the same time. Um, we Phil actually found that place from. What's it? We were looking at the Notwist at the time. This is going back to twenty fifteen, I think. Um, where we had a we had a few songs and ideas recorded, and we were looking for something interesting to do with the recording of the next album. Um, and through the notice, anyway, Phil found uh, a studio in Rotterdam called Worm, and they do res- residencies where, like, you go in for a week, ten days, and you just use all their equipment in the studio for that time. Um, it seemed really interesting. There was loads of weird synths and all this type of stuff in the place. So um, we contacted them. They 
offered us a place. So we went over, I think it was in January um, 2016, and yeah, 10 days over there. Um, we had a few calamitous moments over there. We got there, couldn't get in touch with the the guy who was running the place. Uh, the studio was all closed up. <laughs> we eventually got in touch with him, and it turned out that um, the studio had actually been planned for a rebar that week, <laughs> all week that we were going to be there. But luckily, he had his own studio um, in Rotterdam as well, so we were able to use that. Um, but the, the story of the place was just weird. Um, it was out on, it's called High Platte. And uh, so it was based in like a really old 1920s building. It was originally built for um, like six people coming off the boats, like as a quarantine area. But it wasn't actually ever used properly as that because penicillin as well was kind of invented around the same time. And then from then, it was actually used as like a holding area in World War Two, where the Nazis actually tortured Dutch rebels, which is just weird. And then from then, it was derelict, and then it was changed to an asylum for about, like I think, 30 years. And then it, that was eventually closed down. The squatters moved in, and then about 20 years later, um, the government actually gave them, like the squatting rights and they took over property over the buildings on the land. So that's how your man had come about to get the place as well. So the, the place was just mental and all that kind of story kind of fed into the the album as well because we were just thinking about that at the time. Um, yeah, really interesting. That alone kind of added a lot to how the album turned out because it just gave us a completely different spin and twist on things and the fact that we were somewhere else and didn't have the kind of comfort of you know being able to go home and sleep in your own bed it was just really interesting that's like an amazing story i mean like did you go into the studio residency did you head over to rotterdam with ideas in mind or were you like going in completely um like with nothing we had, I, th- I think we had about five or six songs, all right, and then a few, like, scattered ideas. Um, but we we more so wanted to kind of write and record at the same time in the studio and using the place as the catalyst for it. So, as, as I said, all that backstory, like, just fed into the whole thing. Um and we had, on top of that, we had quite a trip from where we were staying to get to the studio, which involved, like, buses and water taxis because Rotterdam's a port city, so there's a lot of water taxis to get from, like, one side to the other side. Um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of the stuff we just came up with in the studio as well, um, which was quite different for us to try and... not on the spot but kind of try and get some ideas together in that short amount of time because we'd usually spend like weeks and months working on particular ideas and songs in the rehearsal space 
Was there any um kind of goal at the end of the 10 days? Like, was there like, we want to have a song, we want to have like the album, like like really focused idea of what the album will be at the end? Did that, like, did you have that idea or was there any ideas uh, from the studio's side of things? The kind of rough plan in our head going in was we want to have at least one album's worth of material that we can further work on when we get back and like kind of mash into an album so to speak but um, I think we came away with an additional 10 songs from the week's recording on top of what we already had so I think in the end we had about 20 songs to choose from most of which like some of them were scattered recordings that we had done in Rotterdam like it may just be an idea and we recorded it in 10 minutes and then we started working on something else but it was still there was that just because of the focus like of the that fact that you had 10 days together and the goal was making music like was this like the longest sustained uh period that you've actually had to do that yeah definitely yeah, that that was definitely part of the plan in our heads. It was like, if we just stick ourselves where the only thing you can do is music, we should get a lot done. And we did. Which, yeah, there was, there was no kind of exactly set goal at the end of it. It was just, we'll get enough material to make an album, possibly two out of it. We have one anyway, so <laughs> that's, that, that's the main goal achieved. I, I haven't really heard of like something like a studio residency before. Is it just like this one in Rotterdam is kind of like an outlier uh, in terms of uh, other studios? Yeah, I think it is. Definitely. It's not really a traditional studio. It's more so. So I was saying that it had a load of old weird synths and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of that's the main focus of it. Um, and the two guys that run the place, it's pretty much all their gear that they've collected over the decades um, and just stuck in a room. So in terms of being a functional studio, you still need some of your own um, equipment um, and know-how because there's no engineer involved either. Um, you're kind of just thrown the room and left your own devices, you know? I mean, there has been a few people that go in there and literally just they just want to play the stuff and they might come out with some recordings at the end of it, but the experience is kind of what they're going for. But yeah, it's definitely the only studio that I know of that ever does something like that. Because when we found it, it was like, what? Really? A residency for a week, you know? So yeah, it's pretty amazing. And in the press release uh, accompanying the album that I got, um, you kind of talk about the the synths uh, that are in the studio, that they don't really exist uh, in Ireland, and like there was only two or three hundred models ever made of them. Yeah, that one in particular uh, is um, Synthon Syrinx, which is actually a Dutch company from the 80s that made it. And it's just a weird synth. Um, people like, obviously, Aphex Twin has used it on a good bit of stuff. But other than that, I don't really know many people that have used it. But yeah, it's it's really interesting synth, and it features heavily on just Unspeak. So it's the bass in Unspeak. And it's on AO as well, on the album. 
um, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really different sense of, and it, it kind of fed into the whole, I want to say like change of perspective, changing of view that kind of made you approach things differently. And we came out with some slightly different stuff. But yeah, that sense in particular was really interesting. And um, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I was try- I was looking to try and buy one afterwards, but um, unfortunately they're way too expensive uh, to justify one. For someone like me who's like not in any way knowledgeable of musical equipment or anything like that, what is it about like these old like analog synthesizers that kind of appeals in terms of sound that like you don't really get with the new stuff, even though like you've got all of these like knobs and um things that you can play with on the new ones, but there's there's just something lacking in terms of the sound, is there, or is it just like the feeling of actually playing? the old ones, which is almost as appealing as the sound itself. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of that with, with it. There's kind of a few different factors. I mean, there's a good few technical factors, as in something old, like electronic. Um, a lot of the parts will age differently. So it it just, it's hard to describe, it just sounds different than new stuff. And the change over the last, like, 30, 40 years in terms of component manufacturing has just changed so much that all the parts you get these days are so precise that everything is is identical do you know what i mean so there's a lot of like all the analog synths that have been released in the last couple of years they're all using the same parts essentially they're just configured in a different way to make it sound slightly differently but in essence they all kind of sound and feel the same whereas the old stuff it's I mean, some of the parts you just can't get anymore. And it all just, it's weird. It's kind of a vibe, more like, you know. And definitely having having something that's 30, 40 years in front of you just changes your viewpoint on it rather than doing something on your laptop where you can, like, you can program it to get the exact same sound, but just having a thing in front of you makes you, changes your view on it. And to your ears, it actually slightly changes the sound as well, which sounds very strange. But and and so that was 2016 when you were doing that studio residency. What uh, what have you been up to in the intervening two uh, almost three years, like two and a half years since that studio? Like, was it just kind of okay? We have these ideas, like these loads and loads of ideas from the residency. Now we just have to kind of focus them all down into a 40 minute album. Pretty much, yeah. That was that was part of it anyway. Um, so yeah, we spent a good bit of time after that, kind of just working on the songs in the rehearsal space. We recorded a few more bits in in rehearsal space live of some songs that we had written in Rotterdam. Um, and kind of so, like we were wanting to change how we were recording as well in Dublin, so we kind of forced ourselves to do full live recordings um, and use them as a basis to kind of flesh out and finish up for the album. Um, so that that was a few months to kind of get the album, the, the nine songs together and have everything fit properly. Um, and then after that, it was kind of 
So September of that year, Phil left the country with his wife to Toronto, where he is living at the moment. And so at that stage, we hadn't had any vocals recorded. Phil recorded all the vocals for the album in Toronto in his little studio setup, and that took a wee while to get done as well, just because of the time difference, managing calls, you know. Um, you, you think it's easy when someone's moving away, but when it's that much of a time difference away, like your calls are really restricted to like late evenings or early on the weekends. So it took a bit of time, but we got all the vocals recorded and then I set out to mix it after that, which was another bit of a learning curve. But um, yeah, we got there and had it mastered and then started trying to think about how we release it and what we do with Every, it. Everything seemed to extend out a little bit longer than we thought it would, which is usually the case with things you you do, you know. It's like, oh, that'll only take me 10 minutes and it takes you, you know, half an hour or something. It was kind of that, but stretched out to, that'll only take us four weeks and it takes two or three months, you know. Were you panicking at all when he did move to Canada? Were you like, did you have a discussion about whether Subplots was even going to continue or was it like, oh, we're definitely going to get this album out? Phil had told me a good bit in advance that he was thinking about moving and that he was probably going to. From my point of view, I kind of had it in my head. It's like, okay, he's gone. Let's get all the bulk of the album just recorded. Um, it, it didn't change my view on whether the band was going to keep going or we were going to put the album out. It was to me, it's always just like, yeah, it's happening. It's, nothing's going to change it. But we had conversations a while after that together about what we would do. and We definitely want to keep going in any form possible because I'm not sure how you say it. We believe in what we do in, I think. We like doing it. That's the main thing. Yeah, we, for, the, for the three of us in the band, we all need some sort of creative outlet. And to have something where three people are come together and you're all working with each other, it makes it a lot easier at the same time to be actually to be creative because you're relying on other people, they're relying on you to actually do something. So you do tend to get things done and be creative and it's enjoyable, so... Is that why you wanted to mix the album as well? Just kind of like extending out the creative process and it sounds like teaching yourself new skills as well. Yeah, that was a little part of it. The the, the biggest part of it was um, saving money <laughs> because albums are not cheap. Um, do, doing anything with music is not cheap. Um, so... The, that was the main part of it was basically to save money that in the future we can make more albums at a lower cost um, and basically not lose money. That, that was our main objective with this album um, was to kind of get to a stage where we can be sustainable to keep making music because over the years it's it's just gotten more and more difficult to actually recoup what you put into an album and the only way of changing that is by reducing your upfront costs 
So that was part of it. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed mixing it. It was a good learning curve. I had done a bit of mixing before that, but nothing that was released. And I also had some assistance from uh, Kieran Bradshaw, um, who's been an engineer, uh, mixing engineer in Dublin for uh, nearly 20 years now, which is mad. Just saying that. But yeah, he's he's a good friend of ours as well. So we spent a, a few days with him in his studio, just going over things and tightening things up. Is the uh, costs thing that you're talking about, is that something that you kind of only figure out like when you're actually in the middle of it, spending the money? You're like, Jesus, the costs are piling up here, lads. What what do we do? Pretty much, yeah. yeah you, you kind of don't... We didn't really... Or in the past, we definitely have, haven't have planned out, like, say, a budget. Um, and when that happens, things spiral out of control very quickly when you kind of say, like, oh, yeah, let's go to a studio for three or four days and do a few recordings, you know, and you're talking a couple of grand for that. You're coming out of it with some recordings that need to be mixed, which is a mixing engineer and need to be mastered. So, yeah, it, it's very easy if you don't, kind of keep control of things for the cost just to spiral out of control completely is is that something that's exacerbated as well by the fact that like people just aren't paying money to it's like bands who are kind of doing it themselves are going to feel the pinch more than like the major label acts who are like millions of streams deep on on spotify it's just like you know the costs stay the same for you guys but it's like the income kind of uh is is falling yeah Definitely. Saying that now with the major labels, they're definitely making less money than they used to as well. Major labels are, are kind of turning, turning. they're not putting as much money into developing acts as they used to. And that's been happening over the last 15, 20 years. So they're, like, major labels are essentially just taking up acts that already have a presence um, and that they know they can just bump up to the next level. And that's how they are like mitigating their losses but yeah for for smaller bands like us where a major label is like in a parallel universe yeah it's just much more difficult to try and recoup what you put in most of the time you're talking about just doing gigs to recoup that cost which we can't do at the moment because it's still in camera so yeah it was just kind of figuring out a slightly different way to make things less expensive and to get the music out basically so like just for people who don't know like what what is the subplot journey you guys have been together since like 2007 and you release your debut album night cycles in 2009 yeah the band has pretty much always been me and phil ross joined us about i think it's maybe four years now when we were starting to do live shows for Autumn, which was the second album. But originally, me and Phil met, like, met in school, like, back in 2001. So that's for like, 17 years, pretty much. Yeah, it was just a weird thing. Like, um, I, I was in a new school. I happened to sit down beside Phil in one class, and he just oddly said to me, it's like, do you play bass? And I said, yes. And then, yeah we formed a band and started messing around recording on four tracks and stuff which just seems odd now yeah kind of just sprung from that 
and the two of us were into the the same type of music, same interests, you know, so just kept going over the years and finally got other people into bands to play and yeah, got the first album out in 2009 and um, yeah, just kept going. It was a big gap between uh, that album and Autuming. I was wondering what happened. That Autuming came out in uh, 2015, so that's a six-year uh, six gap. Yeah, so what happened there was um, we had we pretty much had a, a version of Autuming recorded and ready to mix in 2011. And um, I started getting a bit sick, and it turned out I had uh, cancer. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so um, that was 2011, 2012. I spent about six months in hospital with um, lymphoma. Um, and it was in my small bell, so there was lots of surgeries and all that type of stuff and a couple of months of chemo. Uh, it took about a year to recover from all that as well. And there's some kind of long-lasting results of all that stuff as well which kind of is just annoying for me but I'm still here still going <laughs> um but yeah that that knocked off pretty much kind of three years in the middle of all that time when I was able to start doing stuff again we came back to the album and started working on it again and kind of chucked out half the album and started writing new songs and doing more stuff that was a interesting time <laughs> I'd, I'd say it must have been like a relief when you're able to pick up the the bass and start making music again though afterwards yeah um definitely um although that was around oddly enough that was around the time when i started getting more heavily into synths and modular synths and all that type of stuff um purely from the point of view that i could sit down and do it um, which was much easier doing that than sitting down with a bass, which at the time was just too <laughs> too heavy, too big to be able to do stuff with. So much easier just to sit there with a keyboard and kind of tap away and turn some knobs, you know. Do you actually get to play live much? Have you been playing much like over the past year or so, or has it kind of just all been focused on getting the album ready and the fact that one of your members is in Canada? Uh, yes. Um <laughs> Yeah, we've not done any live shows in, I think, two and a half years now, maybe. Yeah, at least two and a half years. Purely because Phil is in Canada, it's just not possible. We we could probably figure out some sort of hologram, uh, Skype type thing, you know, but uh, it's just too involved. <laughs> well, if you're talking about trying to keep costs down, I think trying to get a hologram of one of your members playing up with you on stage might drive costs through the roof. Exactly. <laughs> We're hoping to get back gigging at some stage. How we do that, we've no idea, but um, we'll figure something out. Do you think it's a hindrance not being able to play live? The fact that like you're not able to like showcase the new album to new or inquisitive ears, or do you think it's like, well, that, you know, are, are you okay with that as well? You know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, it's definitely a hindrance. Like, as I was saying earlier, that's that's how most people are making a living out of music these days, is by gigging. And with gigs as well, you just get... Um, if, if someone sees you live and they liked it, they'll remember it a lot more than just hearing an album. No matter how good an album or a song is, 
seeing someone playing it live in front of you makes it just completely different um, experience. And most of our fans that keep coming back to us and kind of keeping up with us and getting our new music are people from over the years who have seen it live. Yeah, so that's definitely... So we want to get back to it, all right. And so the album uh, is out on November 8th. Uh, do you have any plans, like, apart from that? Are you, like, starting making new music already or going back to that stuff that you had from the uh, studio residency in Rotterdam? Yeah, we're, we're not sure what we're going to do, to be honest. Um, yeah, we, there's still some songs there from Rotterdam. We need to have a talk as well about how how we go about writing new music with um, being separated. I mean, it sounds like a divorce or something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of being this far apart, we have to figure out a new way of working. We've been chatting over the last while about how we can do it, but um, it's always different talking about something and then things doing it in practice. So we'll see how things go. Yeah. 